Uh, good afternoon. My name's Ben. I'm one of the leaders here at the church at REC. And it's my privilege this afternoon to preach God's word to us from that passage that Vicky just read to us. We are looking at the life, the ministry, the work of Jesus, King Jesus. And we're looking at that uh, event that uh, Vicky just read to us. And we're going to look under three headings, an accusation that reveals, an explanation that confounds, and an implication that brings hope. I'm sure there are some of us here, maybe many of us here, who have a date with the TV tonight. I know Dave and Esther, uh, or Esther at least, are at home. Esther's definitely booked in, and she's put it on her calendar, to watch Line of Duty, the finale of season six. There'll be no spoilers from me. I'm a season behind, so I can tell you what's happening in season five, if you'd like. But it's a police show that is full of accusations that cause people to look at some of the main characters in a new light. Could Hastings be H? Does he really only care about catching bent coppers? And if you've never watched Line of Duty, you can now screen back into to the talk. Accusations reveal, don't they? Somebody accuses you. Oh, you listen to that type of music. And they look at you in a different way if you happen to be a fan of something that they think you ought not to be. That's what happens as the Pharisees come from Jerusalem at the start of chapter 15 of Matthew's Gospel. And they come to meet and to accuse Jesus. To reveal that Jesus is not all that he says he is. Not, the all, the all, not all that people think that he is. They come looking for trouble. And Matthew seems to draw our attention to that. If you've got a Bible, open it back up to Matthew chapter 15. Verse 1. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem. They come from afar and they come looking for trouble. And they say, Jesus, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. They spot something. A surface level issue with cultural ramifications. Your disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. This is not about hygiene. This is about religion. It's about worship. And they spot something in those that follow Jesus that they can pick on and they can make an, an accusation about Jesus. Here's the background. In the Old Testament, we learn that unclean people, and I'm not talking about people that haven't had a shower in a couple of days. We're talking about people who have done things and said things or been in certain situations, which means God says, you can't come into my presence you can't come to worship me you can't come to to where i am to the tabernacle or to the temple you cannot offer sacrifices because you are not clean and the religious leaders over the course of time had set up extra rules presumably initially with good intentions it's a little bit like this. As we come today, as you all stare back at me, you have all got masks on. And maybe as a church, we could have decided 
well, we've got to keep the government's laws to, to wear masks when we meet together. And because we're really keen to do that and to do it well, we're going to insist that, that everybody at home wears masks too. So I hope all of you, I'm looking right down the camera, you should all be wearing masks now. And in fact, more than that, for all of Sunday, you ought to wear masks. The first thing you do in the morning, you should put a mask on. Okay, just to make sure that we're, we're above board. That's what the elders had done. They'd taken part of God's laws about being clean, about how they, the priests should wash their hands before they offer the sacrifices, and they'd expanded it and drawn it out to apply to more people in more ways to cover their bases. Jesus, they say, why don't your disciples wash their hands? And you can almost hear them emphasise the your. Jesus, why don't your disciples wash their hands? And they hope to reveal that Jesus is not all that he says he is. But Jesus' response is to call them out. They, he says, are hypocrites. And he works through an example so that they cannot miss the truth of this statement. Verse 3, Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? They said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? And Jesus' response is to say, I'll take your tradition and I'll counter with God's commands. Why do you break God's commands? They set up the tradition of the elders. He brings God's word. Tradition versus the Ten Commandments. And he works through this example. We're not going to dig into it now. But he says, look, look at how you live. You have got to the point where you're following your own little rules to the extent that you're breaking the key commandments, one of the key Ten Commandments, honour your father and mother. And listen to Jesus' conclusion to these teachers of the law, these people who know the law back to front. You, thus, end of verse 6, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. And then he follows it up. By quoting from Isaiah, an Old Testament prophet. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You hypocrites, Jesus says of the religious leaders and the Pharisees. You see, as the religious leaders come from Jerusalem... To the edge of the lake where Jesus is, they come and they want to draw lines. They want to get a stick and draw a line in the sand on the beach on the seashore and say, Hey Jesus, we're on the right side of the line and your followers and you are on the wrong side of the line. We're in, you're out. That's what they want to do. 
And Jesus says, you are hypocrites. The very law that you should know, the very law that you teach, you break it. And not in some minor way, one of the ten headline commandments. You break it. You are hypocrites. You have drawn a line, but you've drawn it in entirely the wrong place. Maybe you're here this afternoon or watching on at home, you're thinking, hang on, isn't this what the church does? Isn't this what religion does? Draws lines and says, we're in, you're out. But when we come to the good news of Jesus, we don't find people drawing lines that make themselves look better. Jesus doesn't do that. The good news of Jesus draws a line and says everybody who's on the inside the only thing they've done to get on the inside is to acknowledge that they are wicked and sinful and weak and needy and in need of Jesus that is their only qualification when God draws the line he does it to make people aware of their need and of the ability of him to move you inside into his love But we have to be aware as we watch on the Pharisees and see their line drawing that our own hearts are exactly like that. Both individually and corporately, we are a line drawing people. And we look round at other people and we think, you're the wrong side of the line. And every time we find ourselves on the right side of the line. And sometimes we have to rub out the line and draw, move the line because we still need to be inside. And it makes us feel a little bit better if other people are outside of the line. Whether it's on ethics or morality or sexuality, I'm in. Others are out. And Jesus speaks into that sort of language and that sort of behaviour and he says... Do you nullify God's word? Are you listening to what God has said? Are you obeying it or are you a hypocrite? The Pharisees come with a thinly veiled accusation, but instead of revealing Jesus as a fraud, it reveals them as hypocrites. And so we move on as Jesus then begins to explain. Here comes an explanation that confounds the crowds apparently have stood back as the pharisees have come maybe they've seen them in their fancy robes coming in from jerusalem and all the crowd have stood back we better let the heavyweights duke it out and now jesus in verse 10 calls the crowd to him and he <coughs> sorry and he said listen and understand What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. But what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Listen up, everyone, Jesus says. It's not what goes into the mouth, but what comes out of the mouth, that's the issue. You want to know if somebody's unclean before God? Check their dialogue, not their diet. And we can imagine... 
for a people who will have known not as much as the the religious leaders but certainly something of their heritage and their culture and of the old testament and they would have gone but 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 but, but what about leviticus what about those old testament food laws what about not eating certain types of meat What about not eating certain types of things that come from the sea? Jesus, what about Leviticus 10? What about Leviticus 18? They would have been confused. This was news to them. For they had grown up being taught, if you eat certain things, it makes you unclean. This that Jesus says here seems to be going against the laws that God has given his people is Jesus nullifying the word of God is Jesus proving the point of the Pharisees that he's anti God's law that he's anti Moses that he's anti Jewish that he's anti God I think that's a legitimate question and it certainly would have been a question for Jesus's hearers Listen and understand what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. What? But we've been staying off the bacon. And we haven't been having crab and lobster. What Jesus does here is diagnose the, the real issues. Showing the full and true reasoning behind the laws that God had given his people. And so he says to the crowd, you've got to understand, there's a far bigger issue than what you eat. And it's what you say and what you do. And then just as in Matthew chapter 13, where we were a few weeks ago, Jesus goes deeper with his disciples. Verse 12, the disciples came to him and asked, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? And you can just imagine Jesus going, yeah, yeah, I'm well aware. And then Jesus tells them a parable. Going back to the the plants and seed analogy of before. And he digs deeper into this saying. First, he said, what goes into the mouth is not as important as what comes out of the mouth. And now he says... It's not even what, just what comes out of the mouth. It's what comes out of the heart. The big issue is not external. It's internal. We see the behaviours. We hear the speech. But underneath all of that, in each person that we interact, not least ourselves, lies a control centre. Who we really, truly are, our desires, our motivations, our wills, in short, our hearts. And Jesus says to the disciples, the issue is the heart. Listen to what he says in verse 18. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. And these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, 
murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. What a list. Jesus moves from the mouth, from what he's seen and heard, to the heart. And he says the issue is what is going on inside a person. And as he looks round at the disciples and the crowds and the religious leaders, what Jesus sees that we don't often is that in every human heart are the seeds of every sin. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. And not all of those will have manifested themselves in every person. But the seeds are there. Our hearts are very much the same. And maybe we think... I'm not having that. I'm not having that. Some people are better than others. But we recognise, don't we, that for some of us, our lives and our actions have been constrained by our good upbringing, by good circumstances. And for other people, their circumstances, their upbringing, draws out some of these behaviours. But if we could truly see our hearts, if there was an x-ray machine that could show the inner workings of our souls, we would find in every one of us this sort of thinking, this sort of selfish, ugly wills and motives and desires. So we can't just look round and go, what are people putting into their mouths? Or what are people, what's coming out of people's mouths? Jesus says, you need to know the state of the heart. Think of it like this. We go out into the car park and we could go to every car and we look at some cars and think, oh, that's really nice, very shiny, probably goes quite quickly. And we look at other cars and think, wow, that is a bag of rust. That just looks like, oh. But both cars will be producing the fumes that come out of the back of a car. What they look like on the outside doesn't determine what's going on on the inside. So none are clean. None of us are undefiled. No one is able to come into the presence of God and find welcome and to give worship by ourselves. For we are defiled. No one is clean inside. No matter what we look like on the outside. That is an explanation that would have confounded confounded the crowds and the disciples because it's not how we function we make judgments based on what we see and what we hear but deep down Jesus says this is the correct interpretation of the human heart of every 
human heart. And that's where our passage ends. Just a diagnosis. And it feels hopeless. What can we do? What can we do even when we see clearly our own hearts? Well, finally, let's look at an implication that brings hope. We're not done. We have to look at when Jesus says this and what's been going on before he says this and what will come after he says this. We have to look at Jesus. Because if we had that heart x-ray machine and we were to go there to Gennesaret and we were to use the heart x-ray on every single person and we were to see the seeds of these sins in every heart, please step into the booth, sir. Oh, that's ugly. Please step into the booth, madam. Not pretty. But it's Jesus who says these things. And as we look at Jesus, if we were to put Jesus into our x-ray booth and look at the heart of Jesus, we would find none of this. There would be not even a hint of evil thoughts, of murder, of sexual immorality, of adultery, of theft, of false testimony, of slander. Not one hint. Jesus Christ was without sin. Though he was tested and tempted in every way, the Bible tells us he was without sin. The one who gives us this diagnosis of the human heart was in himself sinless. And more than that, Jesus could not be defiled. So go back to the end of the previous chapter. Vicky read it to us earlier. When they had crossed over, verse 34, the disciples with Jesus now in the boat, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all who were ill to him and begged him to let those who were ill just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. The crowds flocked to Jesus with all of their uncleanness, with all of their defiledness. And they come and they touch him. And they touch his cloak. And instead of Jesus being infected, instead of Jesus, because he's around people who are defiled, becoming defiled, instead he heals them. They go away clean. He beautifies them. He heals them. He restores them. There's a, a, a lovely scene in the, in the final Harry Potter book. There's a wedding at the start. I'm not going to get into the main plot. And there's a description of the bride who is beautiful physically. And it says this, While her radiance usually dimmed everyone else by comparison, today it beautified everybody it fell upon. Once Fleur, the bride, had reached him, Bill, 
the groom, who had been scarred in the previous book. Bill did not look as though he had ever met the one who had scarred him. She comes in and she beautifies all around. And Jesus meets those who are defiled. He cleans them. He restores them. He beautifies them. When we come to Christ with our wicked hearts in our defiled state, he is willing and able to make us clean. He is clean and he cleans others. And Jesus, when he cleans us, gives us a new heart. And so we look back now, not just to the start of these events. We look back further into the Old Testament and a promise, a prophecy that God makes to his people about what he will do for them. He says in Ezekiel 36, For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people. And I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness. That is the promise God makes. And he achieves it through Christ. Through this man Jesus. A new heart. For those who have been saved by God through Jesus. The one in whom no sin was found who went to the cross and took our sin upon himself so that we might become the righteousness of God. God will give us a new heart that will be directed and motivated by God himself through his spirit. He will live within us. It's like God says, I will change the microchip at the core of you. And I will put in it a microchip that is right. Not one that is wicked. God will save us from all our uncleanness. And he will do it. That passage says he will do it for his own glory. As God works in people who are unclean and makes them clean. The world will watch on and say what an amazing God that he can do that. That he would do that that he has done that and so he gives us hearts that will want to and will be able to follow God's laws who will say what God has said is right and true and we will follow him hearts that will not nullify the word of the Lord but will follow it and fulfill it we want to be clean don't we we're so aware of our sin, of our failings, 
of how far short we fall of our own expectations, let alone when we look to God and see his expectations of humanity. We know we fall far short. And God says, I will come and make you clean. Go today to Christ with your uncleanness and be washed. And then worship. Worship with all those, your brothers and sisters who have been cleaned by Christ. And we hold out this offer of cleaning, of cleansing, of undefiling to all who will come to Jesus. This is the implication. As Jesus marks out the state of our hearts, he does so in the light of the promise that God will give us new hearts. That God will clean us. If we will come to him. And we'll see that worked out further next week. We'll see as God opens up the doors. And says it's for all. But that's next week. Will you come today? Will you know and acknowledge and be washed again? Christ is willing. Let's pray. Father, we confess our unworthiness. We confess that left to our own devices, that description of Jesus of our hearts is bang on. We are outside. But we look to Jesus. And we look to how he has made sinners clean through his blood on the cross. And we say he did it for us. We believe. Father, continue to clean us. Forgive us for our sin of this past week. Forgive us for where we have lived out the old way. And Father, help us to live and walk in step with your spirit that is within us. Father, that we might be to the praise of your glory. And so that others might see what Jesus does. And that they might come to him and find cleansing. And they might come to him and worship. Father, we do pray for that. All this we ask in his name. Amen.